1 Corinthians 15. And we're finishing up this three-part um, series within a series on the resurrection. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the glory of the resurrection. We've talked about the, the power of the resurrection. We've talked last Sunday, I just want to give you a review of the points. We talked about the purpose of the resurrection in verses 12 to 34, that Paul writes that the resurrection was given to us to remind us that we walk in a miraculous faith. And I want to tell you, you know, Brother Leo, you're going to do well. There's an anointing of God. We've had like, this is the third joint replacement. You're the fourth joint replacement in the last couple months. And everybody's been back to church. Not that, no pressure. But I mean, <laughs> no pressure. But Ed's here after just having his knee replaced this week on Monday. And praise God. And, and of course, Gene was here. I mean, the Lord has just been touching people. And it's been just a quick and speedy recovery. No pressure. Okay, but no, we're believing God for you. And, and we walk in, with a miraculous faith. We still serve a miracle-working God today. And we, we don't dictate how he does his miracles, but we have a God who works miracles in our lives. And so we need to remember that. Number two, the resurrection reminds us that this world is not our final destination, that everything we're living for is not here it's that we're looking toward a country and a citizenship that is not made with our hands, but is eternal in nature. The third thing we remember is that the resurrection is the culmination of all things. The complete work of God's redemption is finalized in the resurrection. Even Jesus' role as the Son of God is completed with the resurrection. And the fourth thing we talked about is the resurrection reminds us of our call to suffer and lay down our lives for the gospel. That we can endure the suffering, we can endure the trials of life because we know that there is the hope of the resurrection before us. We have an empty tomb that reminds us that there's nothing that can defeat us that God is stronger in everything we do. And so now Paul, in verses uh, 35 to 58, he turns his attention to answer some of the questions that some of the false teachers were raising and some of the, the people within the church of Corinth were confused about when they talk about the resurrection. We're going to look at what are the dynamics behind the resurrection, what really happens at the resurrection. And we're going to look at how the resurrection will impact each one of you personally. And finally, when will the resurrection take place? And so we pick it up now, and we look at the first couple verses in verses 35 to 36. And then I'll give you the first point after we read those. Paul says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up and what, with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, as we look to the glory of the resurrection, I pray that you would speak and bring hope into each life here. I pray that you would anoint the words that I'm going to share and that you will pour out your spirit upon us to hear and to understand in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Let us see Jesus and let us glorify the Father, we pray. 
Amen. All right, so um, the first point I want to make is that the resurrection is the fulfillment of the process of death in life. All of our present life is marked by a cycle of death in life. And I want to read to you from John 12, 23 to 26, where Jesus said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this uh, world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This whole paradox of death and life is throughout the entire New Testament. That we have to die to ourselves if we're going to live unto God. We have to die to our vision if we're going to fulfill the vision of God. When we see in the life of Moses, he went through the death of a vision before he could enter into the birth of a vision. Paul talks about death and life throughout Romans 6 through 8 eloquently. And it's a cycle that we don't, listen, none of us likes death. We don't like things to die. And we, we, if we were a grain of wheat, we would say, don't put me in the ground. I don't want to die. But if we don't put that grain of wheat in the ground, and if that whole process of cracking that outer shell and releasing the life within it, there would be no life. And so what I've seen is that many times there has to be a breaking of my life a breaking of my heart, a breaking of the things that I'm, I dreamt of before there can become the fruition of what God desires. And many times my dreams were like this big and God's dreams are this big. And we have to let that breaking and dying process take place in our lives so we can experience life. So the resurrection, one of the glories of the resurrection, and it's, it's a fulfillment of this death and life process. Here's a couple more verses, verses 37 to 39. Paul writes, What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. So think about when you did that in school. You, everyone had that little cup thing, right, where you got the seed from your teacher and you planted that thing. I, I, I killed mine because I was very impatient. And I kept wanting to see if the seed was going to grow. You just don't do that. You know, mine never grew because I kept messing with it. <laughs> My mom would say, I remember, don't mess with it. It'll grow. But I didn't believe, you know, nothing was happening. And I'm a happening kind of guy. And so I kept digging down in there, digging down in there, and I wrecked the whole process. So Paul's saying, you know, you, you, you sow this. Uh, it's just a mere grain, perhaps some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Uh, read that to your evolution scientist teacher in college. God, there, everything has a creative order, and it's created after its own kind. And what Paul is saying here is saying that what you see in the life-giving force of God, has nothing in relationship to what you see that's going to die. 
that seed looks like just this. And he, we have a great farmer here. Those seeds just look like little, little things of pebbles or whatever you would call them. And you put those into your, your I don't know, I'm not a farmer, but you would plow that ground, right, WT, and you'd put it in there, put that, and they would grow corn and wheat and all sorts of wonderful things. And you, when, the corn you see has no relationship. It doesn't look like the seed you put in the ground because the body God gives it is different than the beginning form. Are you with me? Okay. Next few verses. And then he goes on and he gets a little, uh, a little philosophical here. And he says, there are celestial bodies, meaning heavenly bodies, and there are terrestrial bodies. There are earthly bodies. The glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So from this death of the grain comes this new life of glory, wonder, and splendor. And Paul's saying, just look up into the heavens, and you'll see that God determines the level of glory for each, each thing he's created. I thought about that for a moment. I thought, well, the sun has a, a, a greater glory than the moon, yet the moon reflects the sun. And I thought, well, we don't really need the moon. And then I thought, no, we do. If you're a surfer, you want the moon. Because if you're a surfer, the moon is what creates the tides that lets you get on that board and surf. Pretty cool, huh? If we didn't have the moon, we wouldn't have any surf. That'd be no good if you were a surfer, would it? So there are different glories. You look at some stars and they look really dim, and you look at other stars and they look bright. Think of the star that was over, over Bethlehem when Jesus was born. God determines the level of glory and splendor. So it completes this process of death to life. The second point begins in verse 42. Paul says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Notice he's, he's saying the resurrection of the dead is like this now. It completes this cycle of death into life. And what happens in our resurrection is so far glorious, so much more glorious than what this earthly body is. And can I tell you that the earthly body is a marvel? When you think of the earthly body and you think of the mind and you think of the, the circulatory systems we have and how this body works and how God created it to, to regenerate itself and to heal itself, they call it the practice of medicine for a reason. Because even though they know so much now, they still really don't know that much. Isn't that amazing? Now, I would be dead right now if it wasn't for the Lord and, and the advancements in modern medicine. When my aortic heart valve went into atrophy, if they didn't have artificial heart valves or the procedure to do open heart surgery, which 50 years prior to my having that surgery, they really didn't have, I would be dead now. So I thank God for all the things that they know. Amen? And now we think, talk about the knee joint replacements, all these wonderful things that God has given man the knowledge to create. But even so, the wonder of this body is going to dim in comparison to the glory of what God's going to do in the resurrection. So he says, it's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. 
It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Verses 44 to 45. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, some people can get off track on this point about a spiritual body and a physical body, and they may think that a spiritual body is not physical at all. But that's not true. Because when Jesus rose from the dead in his glorified body, he had a spiritual body. How do we know that? Well, it was different in the sense that his disciples were all in the upper room uh, meeting and the doors were closed and all of a sudden Jesus just entered in without opening the door. His body wasn't limited anymore by, by, that's pretty cool, isn't it? It's like before Star Trek was even written. He just beamed himself into that room. And they were startled. Would you be startled too? Let's say all the doors were locked and all of a sudden Jesus just came through this cinder block. So you think, well, well, he was just a spirit. And one time by the lake, um, he appeared, just appeared to all the disciples, and they thought it was a spirit, and they were afraid. And he said, no, no, it is I. He said, touch me and see me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so our spiritual body doesn't mean that it's not going to be material. It's just going to be so much different and so much better. It's going to be so far beyond what we know as the wonder of the human body. In the process of this, this glory of this resurrection, right now we're going through a process which is called sanctification. That's a big long word that means that our spirits are becoming like Christ. Our minds are being renewed and our body is dying. So when we think of sanctification, it has nothing to do with our body. Because from the moment we're born, our body grows and grows. And it's kind of like a, a hyperbolic curve. And, and, and we reach a plateau and then we begin, our bodies begin to die over a long process. I looked at a picture of myself on the wall of my study when I was young holding my daughter Hannah. And this mustache was a, a sandy blonde color. The mustache is saying, you know, I'm about ready to get out of here. So I'm just going to lose my color in these last stages of my mustache life. You see, we, our whole bodies are changing. When I talk to you, I, I still think I'm that sandy, blonde-haired, good-looking guy that married my wife, you know, and, and you see a picture of us, and I had hair. Boy, I had hair. And it was like, she got, she got gypped, I guess, but I, she goes, I'm marrying this surfer guy with hair. <laughs> But God is so, so wonderful that he's changing our spirits, he's, he's renewing our minds, yet, yet we all know that one day we will die. But in the resurrection, ah, this is the glorious part, God not only sanctifies our spirit, but he takes our mind and our bodies and he gives them total life. It says this, it says the corruption, a body that is dying, will put on incorruption. You'll never die again. Isn't that cool? You really don't die, do you? When you die, you go to be with the Lord. But, but you leave. The sad part is, is, the sad part of a funeral is that you don't have that physical tabernacle that interacted with you to be with you anymore. You know that the person who dies with the Lord, if they're a believer, 
But yet, when I saw my best friend in the coffin, it was like, you know, how can, how can that be? And, and you see that physical tabernacle that you traveled with for 25 years and ate dinner with and talked about your daughters together with, and that tabernacle's gone. But I want to tell you, God is going to change that corruptible tabernacle into an incorruptible tabernacle. It doesn't matter whether you, you can disagree with me here, that's fine. But it doesn't matter whether you're cremated or whether you're buried in a coffin and, and you deteriorate in, by the worms eat you and the worms carry you to China. It doesn't matter where your body goes or your atoms go on that day of resurrection. Everything, and if you know that atoms do not go away, they stay. And God's just going to call all of those things together and boom, you're going to have that glorified body. So the resurrection, your corruptible will put on incorruption. It says your dishonor, right now our bodies are bent towards sin. Our old nature is bent towards sin. And we have to battle that, don't we? Every day of our life. But that dishonoring part of our bodies and of our old nature will be changed into a vessel of honor, a body solely living for the glory of God. From weakness, there are things that I could do when I was young that I cannot do any longer. I don't like to admit it, but if I go out and work all day on a Saturday and do things that I don't normally do, Karen and I did some yard work the other Saturday, and uh, around Saturday night, about 5 o'clock, we looked at each other, and I followed her. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. The muscles ain't working like they used to care. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. Even when you're young and all cute, you know, like those guys over there. Because our natural bodies, you know, they're just, they have limitations. But we're going to receive a spiritual body that has no limitations. A body made for heaven. This body can't go to heaven. But my new one will. Isn't that, boy, that's, that's cool. Verses 46 to 47, or 48. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. So the resurrection, number three, will forever alter our spiritual and physical makeup. In our natural life, we resemble Adam. And in our natural life, uh, this is kind of cool, because you know when people are related many times, you look at them, and they, they have those physical characteristics. I look at my daughter, and, and she looks like Karen and I. And you can tell she's a German girl, you know, with a round German face. And she, she's just this great, great-looking girl, I think because um, she looks like her dad. Um, <laughs> but in, in the resurrection, in our spiritual life, we're going to resemble Jesus in our spirits. Now, I believe, now, there's no text that really tells us this. I believe we will know each other, and we will have those characteristics that we have, but we'll also have a new characteristic. So like when I see W.T. and Pat's wonderful family. You can see that family characteristic throughout their whole family. 
And it's wonderful to see. And you see that in your grandchildren and on down generation after generation. When we look at each other, we will know who we are, but we will carry a new characteristic. We will see each other and we'll see Jesus in each other. We're going to look like Jesus. And isn't that going to be awesome? I don't know what that means fully. And I don't know what that's going to look like. But I think it's really cool that as the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, verse 48, so also are those who are heavenly. And if you're heaven bound in Jesus, you're going to look like him. Verse 49 to 50. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So to inherit the new heavens and the new earth, we must be changed. And John writes about it in 1 John. He says, Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us. 1 John 3, 1-3. That we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. You don't become a, When you receive Christ, you're a child of God. You're a son and a daughter of God. But listen to this. He says, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. And I want to tell you, it hasn't been revealed yet either, folks. So if somebody writes a book about it, don't read it. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. One of the best illustrations of that is a husband and wife who have been together for 50 years, for 60 years. And, and you know, we have some of these dear couples in our congregation. I'm getting that close to this one too. And if you look at Karen, I've become better looking over the 42 years we've been together, and I kind of look a little bit like Karen now. She's not saying amen to that, but anyway, I think it's true. And um, I remember seeing my mom and dad after 60 years of marriage and just looking in their faces. They resembled each other. Now, my personal family has to be quiet. You, you, if you, if you say, I'm going to say to you what Jesus said to the disciples, the words I speak to you now are spirit and truth. <laughs> Surely my mom didn't look like my dad, but yet they resembled each other like my grandma and grandpa did. And just like, unfortunately, Al, you and Carla do. And Carla's a loser on that one. But anyway... <laughs> We go to the next verses. See, you mess with me, buddy. I can mess back with you. Verses 51 to 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Hallelujah for that. We shall all be changed. Verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Now, a lot of people read that and they, they interpret something into that verse that I don't really think you should interpret. When they read the last trumpet, they immediately try to link that to the last trumpet in the book of Revelation. And I don't believe this is what Paul is talking about at all. 
He's talking about the great trumpet of God. In fact, may I just give you point number four, that the resurrection or the first resurrection will take place in several stages. So it can't mean the last trumpet in the book of Revelations. Let me tell you why I believe that strongly. There are actually four phases of the resurrection. Here's the first phase. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, there was Christ's resurrection. The Bible tells us that his bodily resurrection into his glorified body was the first fruits of our resurrection, right? Everyone agree with that? Number two, the Bible talks about the rapture of the church. Now, I don't care where you want to put that, but I want to tell you there is a day coming when it's just a call for the church, when the trumpet of God will sound, and it says the dead in Christ, those bodies who have died and been buried, will be reunited with their spirits, they will rise first, and then all of those who are left will be caught up and changed instantaneously in the air with the Lord, and it says, and then they will be with the Lord forever. That's the rapture of the church. But as you read in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 11, 11, there are the two witnesses that God sends to witness to the tribulation saints in the book of Revelation. And those two witnesses are killed, and then they are raised up bodily from the dead and raised up into the presence of God like Elijah and Enoch were. That's the third um, phase of the resurrection. And the fourth phase of the resurrection you find in Revelation 20, verse 6, when all of the tribulation saints, those who went through the tribulation, who received Jesus Christ as a personal Savior and Lord, are raised again. And he says, blessed are those who take place in the first resurrection. Because the second resurrection is not a resurrection of change, it's a resurrection of judgment. When all those who didn't receive Christ are raised up bodily to enter before the great white throne judgment of the Lord. So the resurrection takes place in phases. And so I believe we are positioned now for the rapture of the church. When will that take place? Well, the church throughout history thought, has thought it was right around the corner. Every single generation has thought it was right around the corner. Do I? Well, I, I say this. The Bible says a thousand years are like one day to the Lord. And so the Lord's only been God two days. And the Bible has a lot to say about the third day. And so somewhere between 2000 A.D. and 3000 A.D., the rapture is going to take place. Uh, that's what I, I, I believe from the scriptures. But when is it going to happen? Well, I always have my rapture shoes on. And I'm going to tell you one thing. Either I'm going, I'm going up with the first group, whether it's when the dead rise up to be with Christ, the first before the ones living are, are caught up, I'm going up with the first group, and I hope you are too. And that wonderful change. But just think about it. I mean, it, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you've seen it in movies. All of a sudden, right now, I could be preaching right now, and boom, instantaneously we're changed into a glorified body. And as we're sailing up to be with the Lord, you'd see that hair just start to flow out. And, uh, and you'd say, you'd say, Pastor Kirk, you were right. I said, I told you. <laughs> Last point. <laughs> Verse 54, 53, I already read that. For the corruptible must put on incorruption, the mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54 to 55. So when this corruption is put on incorruption and the mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written, death 
is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last point. The resurrection is the final victory over sin and death. Now think about this. Right now, I told you, this physical old nature, this decaying body, and my, even my mind has to be renewed because our natural old nature is bent towards sin. And, and the law comes... And, and really, the law proves to be death for us because when the law says, thou shalt not, everything within me says, yeah, I will. Right? Before I even, and then when I come to Christ, I'm cleansed and forgiven, and the battle still goes on. The battle still goes on. Now, I have victory in that battle now through Jesus Christ, and I learn how to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, and my victory grows as I learn how to walk after the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, sometimes I'll be praying and then I'll just stop for a moment and, and, and these thoughts that rise up against the knowledge of Christ will rush to my mind and I'll say, where did those come from? And I'll have to take them captive in obedience to Christ. And I think, I thought I'd never think anything like that or I thought nothing like that would ever come to my mind again. And I realize that the battle goes on. Say, well, Pastor Kirk, you're not very spiritual. No, I'm just being very, very real with you. I'm just being very real with you. I, I, an old priest was walking with his young priest protege, and, and the priest says, Father, Father, you know, when, when will I have this uh, battle won over lust? And, and the father looks at the young priest and says, about 30 seconds after you die. <laughs> and that's really true. The battles in life go on. We are to walk in victory, but doesn't mean we don't have to put the armor on every day. Doesn't mean we're not in a battle. And so, so the last thing that happens is the final victory is when death is snuffed out and when this body is changed. Because think about it. I'm renewing my mind, my mind right now. I'm subjecting my body to discipline. Paul says, I subject my body lest after preaching the gospel I be disqualified. What was he saying? Well, if I don't watch how I live, I don't watch what I'm doing and what I'm allowing into my mind and into my thoughts, then I could sin and I could fall away from the Lord like that and ruin the testimony of what I've just preached. So I've got to, like a, like a racer, I've got to discipline myself. I've got to stay in the Word. I've got to stay in prayer. I can't slack off. I've got to know what to do when I go on trips and how to, how to use wisdom and, and turn things off and, and set things so that there's no temptation. I mean, I'm just being real with you here. You know, I, I've got to use wisdom. So, when, though when this body is renewed in this mind, when I have the sanctified mind and the, and the redemption body, the resurrection body, then there's no base of operations for the law to bring those temptations. And sin has nowhere to land. If you ever watched the old World War II movies and you saw the kamikaze pilots of the Japanese, the reason why they ended up calling them kamikaze because when they would take off, they would only have a certain amount of gas. They had one mission that was to crash into the enemy. They had nowhere else to land. And so they were giving their life in sacrifice for what they thought was the right cause. But they had nowhere to go to refuel. They had nowhere to land. So you either are going to 
take it out in glory according to their custom or, or you were just going to die yourself. Well, sin is like an aircraft and our bodies are like an aircraft carrier. And sin has to have a place to land and refuel and land and get strong again. But when God sinks the aircraft carrier, which he's done spiritually in Christ, understand that. But when the mind is totally renewed and the body is a spiritual body, there's no aircraft carrier anymore for sin to land on. Sin has nothing, no hold over us. Isn't that going to be a glorious day? Before I knew Christ, I sinned. I wasn't able not to sin. Now in Christ, I have the ability not to sin, but I still sin. But thanks God in the resurrection, I'm not going to be able to sin because I'm going to be completely redeemed. And that's the glory of the resurrection. Now, worship team, I, I, I held it for you to come back up so I didn't keep you up here too long. Listen to this verse as they walk up. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Isn't that going to be a glorious day? There'll be no more pain. Hallelujah, Brother Ed. No more pain. Amen. Amen. There'll be no more pain. The former things will have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said this, Behold, I make all things new. Can you imagine that? Everything you struggle with right now. The day's coming when he's just going to say, Brother Jerry... All things new. We sing that song, but when we get done singing the song, we're still old. Yeah, but the day's going to come when we're singing that song together, if we still sing that one. Will you play that one up in heaven? All right. And, and we will be new. Glory to God. Then he who sat on the throne said, I make all things new. And he said, write these words, for they are true and faithful. Here's my conclusion, the last verse, verse 58. Just two short points, and I promise you it's not going to... Be long. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Do you, how many have heard that scripture before? Let me see your hand. Heard that scripture? How many knew it was in the context of the resurrection? Sometimes we quote verses, we don't even know what they're talking about. Now, I want to tell you, sometimes it's hard to be steadfast and immovable. Sometimes I just want to quit. But if I know that there's a resurrection where all things are going to become new and that I win completely, let me tell you this. Here's my last two points. Our future glory should influence our present faithfulness. Our future glory should influence our present faithfulness. If you don't take anything else out of this place this morning, that's what you need to take out. That what God has promised you is so powerful, it's so outstanding, it's so glorious, it's filled with such wonder and splendor that that promise alone should influence your present faithfulness. Now, we just uh, witnessed my wife had been following a young man, a courageous young man, who had a terrible cancer, had two young children, a beautiful wife, battled it for how many years, Karen? Nine years had a log and just kind of shared his journey. And, and finally, he lost that battle, but he didn't lose. You see, the point is, is that sometimes we wonder, well, why, why do these things, ha these things happen? You know, and I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. But I know this, that this young man, what was his first name? Ryan, Ryan Humphrey, 
And he's a cousin of a, of a dear friend we had. This young man, Ryan Humphrey, his life was not wasted. His life is a seed that's been sown. That he believed in his spirits with Jesus. And that body that did not find the complete healing in this life. <laughs> I want to tell you something. That resurrected body will never see cancer again. It'll never struggle again. It'll never be weak again. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? If, think about that promise. Isn't that enough to cause us to be faithful? Last point, our future glory is sure. Therefore, our life of obedience and faith in the Lord is never in vain. Has the enemy ever come up and whispered to you? I wonder. Worship team, sometimes, you know, you, you give of yourself and everything, and, and you, you, you have a, a Sunday where you just kind of hit the wrong chord or you just don't feel good or, or you know, you, you forget the songs or words or, you know, and you just wonder, you know, like, wow, you know, I really blew it. How can I ever lead worship again? How can God ever accept me? Or you had a failure that week, and how can I get up in front of the whole congregation and, and, and lead worship? I mean, I'm not worthy. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Him, and everything you do is never in vain. And everything you do is never in vain. Your worship to the Lord, your prayers, your times of intercession, your times of getting in the Word of God, your times of proclaiming His faithfulness, it's never in vain. And how do you know that? Because the resurrection is coming. There's an empty tomb and there's a resurrection coming when everything is going to be made new. Oh, Kirk, that's all future stuff. Oh, Kirk. no, no, that is happening now in my life. Paul says this, though the outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, I feel younger now today than I did yesterday, and I keep getting younger inside. And that's why when I talk to you, I forget that my mustache is silver. And I forget that I don't have any hair because I see myself in my glorified state. Let's close in worship. Stand with me. Let's have that type of faith. Hallelujah. <laughs> Take my name and make me home.
God's love is so great this morning. Yes. It should motivate us to be so faithful to Him. The promise of the resurrection is such a glorious event that it should transform the way I live now. In our family, most of you know that Al is a very great cook. And sorry, you can't become a part of our family just after I tell you this short story. But on Christmas, we have prime rib. You can't become part of our family. There's no room at the table. Um, and he always says, come hungry. And I know that the prime rib's going to be so good. And all the trimmings are going to be so good that I don't even eat anything that morning because it would be a waste to eat anything inferior to that prime rib. That's what the resurrection is to us, dear ones. The glory is so great that settling for anything of this world is so foolish and short-sighted. Last song and we'll close.
Lord, you're a good father. You are so good that you looked down upon this world and you saw us lost and broken by sin, destined for death and eternal separation from you. And you sent your only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, now is the time to make that commitment. Say, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Save me from my sin. Save me from the power of death. Let me be a person who lives with the future promise of glory, the promise of resurrection. And let that influence my present faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you are calling us to a life of faithfulness. And it's not a life without an upward call and an upward pull. By your grace, you call us. By your spirit, you draw us. And you give us the grace and the strength we need to begin to live according to our calling, not according to our falling. And so, Lord, help us live according to our calling. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you shalom, his peace that passes all human understanding. Go and be blessed of the Lord. Go and live for him. Live according to the glory that you are called unto. In Jesus' name. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.